Episode 72 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. My name is Diana Klein, and I am a wife, mother, entrepreneur, philanthropist, and pilot for United Airlines flying the 787 Dreamliner. What is going on, Aviation Nation, and welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin, and I am your host. Today, I'm talking with Diana Klein. Diana is a United Airlines 787 pilot. She has flown the C-5 for the Air Force Reserves, and she has also worked management at United, and she does so much more in her personal life. She has done so much. It was just so hard to keep up with all the accomplishments that she has. It's an encouraging episode, and it's one that really makes you want to get off your couch and go do something productive and do some pretty cool stuff. So I'm really excited to tell her story today and I really hope you enjoy the podcast. If you do enjoy the podcast, please check us out on Patreon. I want to give a special shout out to Nick Johnson for being our patron of the week. If you want to be the patron of the week, go ahead and check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pilot to pilot. And if you want to find any more information about the podcast where you can leave a review on iTunes, or if you want to find our Instagram and social media tags, just go to our website, www.pilotthepilothq.com. There's links for everything there and you can go ahead and check that out as well. Aviation, I don't want to keep you much longer and I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. So without any further ado, here's Diana Klein. Diana, what is going on and welcome to the pilot to pilot podcast. Justin, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate you coming on the podcast. And I'm really looking forward to talking about you flying the 787. And like I said, it's one of my favorite planes. And I look forward to getting in a little bit more about that. Absolutely. It is a beautiful aircraft. I feel very, very fortunate to be uh, one of the pilots that has the opportunity to fly it and fly to all the amazing destinations that United has us flying to these days. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. And uh, let's go ahead and get started. The first question I ask everyone is just a simple one is, why did you want to get into aviation? What was the original inspiration? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I was very fortunate to be raised by a father who was also a United Airlines pilot. Uh, my dad, Captain Ray Hoover, spent almost 40 years at United. He retired off of the 777 at the Washington Dulles base in 2003. And throughout my entire life, dad always came home with a giant smile on his face from work. And so I equated that giant smile on his face and those four stripes on his shoulders and three stripes when I was younger uh, with a really fun career. And I thought, wow, you know, if my dad can come home with a huge smile on his face and full of energy to go spend and invest in me uh, in my childhood and growing up, then that's what I want to do when I grow up. Uh, so my dad was definitely the major influence. Uh, also, too, I grew up on Airport Road. Quite literally, that was my address. And there was a very small airport at the other end of the street. And our home was somewhat on the final approach path for uh, for, the, for that air, airport. So dad and I would sit out on the swing in front of our house. And we would watch small airplanes fly over. And we would do vis recce. We would uh, identify and uh, those aircraft. And I learned Cessna 172 and Piper J3 Cub and King Air and Citation at a very young age. And my dad never, ever pushed me into flying. But once he realized that I had the bug, uh, he definitely um, helped guide my path and uh, helped influence me along that. And uh, so definitely my dad was my main influence. And 
as I got older, um, I still had the bug and uh, he invested in flying lessons with me. He was actually my instructor for my private pilot's license, which was really great. Um, I look back and I feel sorry for my mom a lot because at the dinner table, we, dad and I would be having these conversations about, and of course, throwing you know acronyms around that only we pilots seem to understand. And and she would sit there very patiently and quietly and sometimes wring her hands a little. I think she was a little nervous that her daughter was was going into this career. Um, my mother was a nurse and uh, she always had had intentions for me to become a doctor. And, uh, and But no, it, it didn't pan out. I wound up following in dad's footsteps. And, um, but yeah, so I took uh, flying lessons in high school. Um, I was actually really lucky my senior year. I, I was able to convince um, the assistant principal and principal at my high school to um, kind of let me leave a little early on some days so that I could hustle out to the airport and uh, knock out a flying lesson uh, before I went and took college classes. I took a few college classes my senior year of high school. And so I would squeeze in a lesson and then go to school um, again and then uh, wake up the next day and do it all over again. And I, I loved every minute of it. Uh, and with that, I was fortunate enough to get my private pilot's license while I was in high school. And uh, I just kept pressing with the lessons and uh, was able to get my instrument rating as well. Um, so those being the first two that, that all of us go through to get um, was put me really helped helped me solidify the fact that I wanted to do this for a living. And uh, because of that, um, I initially had very high hopes and dreams to go to the Air Force Academy and fly fighters. That's what I wanted to do for years. Uh, which was another point of worry for my mom. Um, so I, I kind of wavered in my dreams and desires from fighter pilot to uh, went through a little bit of a Navy SEAL phase, went through a little bit of a helicopter pilot phase, but but kind of never deviated except for the Navy SEAL part. Never really deviated from being a pilot of some form or fashion. Yeah, so you wanted to do everything except for be a doctor, which is what she wanted you to do. Exactly, exactly, yes, yes. If you don't mind me asking, you said you knew you caught the bug and it was around a relatively young age. How old would you say you were? The earliest recollection I have of re me really biting and uh, getting the bug was in kindergarten, uh, mainly because I, I vaguely, vaguely remember myself. However, going through um, a lot of things at home from artwork and little journal entries, all those little activities that your teachers have you do in kindergarten, um, mine, mine was very heavily... Uh, very heavily aviation themed, a lot of airplane pictures. Um, the way that I learned how to write my name is I would write Diana Hoover and then an airplane beside it in kindergarten. So I had the bug. I was a, I was an aviation geek, uh, a very proud aviation geek from the get go. Uh, so yeah, early, very early. That's crazy. It's really crazy how other people and certain people can catch the bugs at different times. Like when I was 20, it was when I caught the bug. It's when I took my first flight and my, my dad was a pilot at American US Airways, that whole thing. And my grandpa was a pilot at United. So I knew it was always a possibility, but it was just never something I ever really thought of. So it's really cool that you knew it was a possibility and that you wanted to go after your dream at such a young age. I did. I definitely did. Um, learning the benefit of knowing that so early is I was very focused and uh, it's it's funny. I talk to my dad about it now and he goes, yeah, you know, I never really thought of it as being a way to keep you away from boys and drugs in high school, but it did. And uh, it worked exactly. Uh, I did. I did date and have uh, have a few dates in high school, of course, but uh, definitely stayed away from the drugs. Definitely stayed away from the alcohol because even at that young of an age, I knew I had too much to lose. 
Yeah, especially with your goal and going into the military to to enter the military, go in the military. You can't be messing around with that stuff. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And also too, just from my my home, the the pressure at, at home, I shouldn't say pressure, but I guess the leverage that my dad would use is, you know, hey, if you ever if you get caught doing this and that or speeding or busting your curfew, then the flying lessons go away. Any questions? And I'm like, nope, no, sir. Not at all. Not at all. Um but yeah, so I, I just, I really put my nose to the grindstone in high school. I really had the initial dream um, of getting my foot into the aviation industry by going to the Air Force Academy and then ultimately being a fighter pilot. And I am awful and atrocious at math. I've always had to work at it. And I did well in high school, but it was because I worked so hard at the math. And when it came time to take the SATs, uh, Virginia was a highly, and still is, uh, it's my understanding to this day, it's a highly competitive state uh, for military academy appointments. And I had to get an SAT score of above 1,400. Um, and I took it four times, and the math part just got me every time. Uh, my verbal was really high, but the math, um, just I couldn't get there. And... Uh, I was sad. I was very upset. And uh, dad saw that and he goes, you know what? He said, let's try this. He said, go ahead and go to a regular civilian school. Go with one with a flight program. And if you still have the, the military flying bug and the passion to serve your country after you finish college, there are options for you. He goes, I fly with guys at United who are in the Air National Guard and Air Force Reserve, Navy Reserve, Marine Corps Reserve. He goes, there are options. We'll explore those. And um, we'll see what happens. And so that's what I decided to do. And uh, I researched which flight schools I wanted to go to. I I wanted to get away from home a little bit, but I didn't want to go too far. (laughs) And I felt like a school in the same time zone was was probably a good idea. And uh, I I looked at all of them, though. Um, There are some absolutely fantastic aviation programs out there. Uh, Purdue, University of North Dakota, Western Michigan, um, just just to name a few, Middle Tennessee State University has a great program, Auburn, um, and they're all wonderful. Uh, at the time, uh, going to school uh, in Florida on the beach sounded really appealing. And uh, Embry-Riddle, uh, Daytona was is down in Florida, on right in Daytona Beach. And that's where I decided to go. Um, I decided early on in my senior year to go there. I applied for early admission and was accepted. And uh, that was my next step after high school was, was going to Embry-Riddle. And I look back and it was one of, although there was, other programs would have been equally great. Uh, I would do it all over again at Embry-Riddle for, for one main reason. Um, I met my husband there. I never there expected. That's a good reason. <laughs> yes. I never expected uh, to meet the love of my life at, at in college because I was so focused. I was so driven. Yeah. And I had my dad behind me saying, hurry up, get a college degree, build the flight time and get a seniority number. That yeah. is your mission. Seniority is everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I went down to Embry-Riddle uh, with that. Uh, in the forefront of my mind, that game plan. And uh, I went there and uh, ran into this guy and he, he asked me out on a, on a date and, and I said, no, uh, the first time, thank you, but no, thank you. I'm, I'm very focused. 
I need that seniority number. Go away. That's right. That's right. And uh, but he was persistent, and uh, I, I wound up um, making a bunch of great friends and dating another fellow for quite some time, who who's lovely and still a good friend to this day, a current United pilot as well. Um, oh no, that's funny. Right? Oh, it was great. Uh, Dave's a fantastic fellow. Great has three wonderful children and a wonderful wife, and I, he's a really solid citizen. Uh, but uh, but yes, and so Mark, my husband. Uh, was persistent and we uh, occasionally our circles of friends would collide and uh, he was very much into ROTC. He was uh, the vice wing commander of the, of the squadron there, the cadet squadron um, and uh, very busy as was I. And we didn't start dating until our senior year. And uh, after I acquiesced, uh, the third time they asked me out and, uh, and here we are uh, 15 <laughs> years of marriage later. That's and amazing. Uh, two kids, one three years old who started preschool today, my oldest son, Mason, and uh, my youngest, Caleb, is 10 months old. Uh, oh, my gosh. It's been an, a wild ride, but a wonderful <laughs> one at the same time. Persistence can pay off, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> probably the second best thing about Embry-Riddle is I met some absolutely fantastic friends who I still call dear friends to this day. And um, I am a big, big proponent of having your own personal board of directors, if you will. So board of directors, of course, advise companies on you mm-hmm. know, the directions they should go. And uh, I think each of us should have their own personal board of directors. And uh, I'm very proud and humbled to call um, several of my friends uh, that I have from Embry-Riddle as part of my personal board of directors that I still contact on a very regular basis to this day. And Many of us, um, some of us are in the air, or had Air Force careers, continued their Air Force career, um, m- many of whom are at United. Uh, sometimes I walk down into the, the flight ops area in San Francisco or one of the other uh, United Airlines bases, and it's like an embryo-riddle homecoming. Everyone is there, <laughs> except we're all wearing That's different really uniforms. We're all a little grayer, uh, might have gained a few pounds or so, but hey, we look basically the same. But also um, wiser, right? Come wiser. on now. Yeah, the good things, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Um, but Embry Riddle was great. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be hired as an instructor for Embry Riddle fairly early in my college career, and so I took classes full time starting my sophomore year, and then instructed part time. And I would instruct from six a.m. in the morning until ten a.m. and that was right. my flight block. And then I would roll right into about seven hours of classes, and then I was a resident advisor and did flight team and all that stuff too. Um, I look back and I wonder. Um, when I slept, I don't think I, I really say, did. Did you have any free time at all? <laughs> I know, right? Not really, not really. No. Um, but uh, I was able to finish it, uh, finish college in three years. And Dang, um, that's awesome. I, one of the, the kind of the, the not so awesome reasons as to why I was encouraged to finish in three years was not only for that seniority number, um, but also post 9 11. Um, I graduated Riddle in 2003. And 9-11, of course, had occurred and uh, United Airlines declared bankruptcy. Uh, Their pilots at the time lost their pensions and roughly 60% of their pay, all things considered that go into pilot pay, 60% of that was lost. And that hit my dad and hit him rather hard. And so uh, one thing that he, dad never, um, dad was very good at, at somewhat sheltering me and always being positive. My dad is the absolute glass half full guy. 
never, yeah. no matter what. Uh, but I do remember a phone conversation um, followed up by a run that he and I were doing. Dad and I used to run together. Uh, my dad is 75 and still runs to this day. Man, three miles he's making me look bad. <laughs> <laughs> he's making me look bad too. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't ran in so long. Uh, but we used to run together when I was home from college and uh, I, we would do his daily route. And uh, he told me during that route that he was going to retire a year early because um, he didn't know what the future of United was at the time. And if I could kind of hustle up and finish up school and do anything I could to help fund that effort um, yeah. to do so. He's and like, so that'd I did. be great. Yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. And, and I did. And, uh, and I was able to get accepted into what they called at the time, the flight fellowship and leadership program at Embry-Riddle. Not sure if it's still in existence, but it was a rapidly accelerated CFI program and um, gave us the opportunity at completion to be interviewed and hired as a part-time flight instructor. And I was fortunate to be one of those individuals chosen um, for that. And as a benefit of that, part of our tuition was covered. And oh, then cool. on top of salary. So I, I poured my salary into tuition and then I was able to um, cover room and board by being a resident advisor, which was a blast. Loved every minute of it. Uh, met some great people, still stay in touch with a lot of my fellow RA friends as well as my residents. And so you don't uh, hear that very often. <laughs> no, no, you don't. You don't. Uh, so it was, it, you know, silver lining to everything, but that, yeah. that was kind of the underbelly undercurrent, I guess that was going on. Yeah. My dad flew for American when all that, or no, sorry, take that back. He flew for US Airways when all that was going on. So he, uh, he was in the same boat and I, I don't know. I mean, it depends on what airline you talk to, but I know US Airways bankruptcy twice. Like I feel like they were like the air, if anyone was going to go out of business, everyone thought it was probably going to be US Airways. So I remember that very, very adamantly. And he would, he lost 60% of his pay, just like you said, when all said and done and all combined. And he would come home every single day with like fully expecting to get a phone call or not even get a phone call that the, the airline is no longer running. So that was a tough, tough time for everyone in the airlines. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Sure was. It sure yeah, was. It's, uh, no, one, no one avoided that, except for Southwest a little bit, but that was a little later. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So I do have a question. You said you have a, the board of directors, which obviously is your friends and mentors and you guys kind of helped each other, I'm guessing, throughout your career and kind of gave advice and pulled together to figure out the best way possible for you guys to get that seniority number. Absolutely. absolutely. What would you say the importance of that is for someone to have? Because I always talk about having mentors and how important that is, but board of directors even takes that a little bit farther and you kind of group together and help each other. How much did that help you in your career? Oh, tremendous. Tremendous. Um, I feel like uh, my, I myself have a lot of internal drive, uh, but at times I think we all have, we all suffer from it a little bit, a little bit of that imposter syndrome where we question, oh gosh, should I be here? Or, ooh, do I, can I really do that? Yeah. And um, that personal board of directors, and I'll just say a few by name, um, if that's okay, uh, two that come to mind are Paul Soporowski and Kurt Schlesinger, who are now, uh, Kurt is a A320 captain uh, for United, and Paul is a 737 captain who just got promoted to line check airman, which is huge, and oh, I have no doubt he will be fantastic. Um, but those two individuals, as far as... Um, the airlines go, those were the guys that I really, you know, asked their opinion and valued their opinion very high. And those two also um, helped push me. So when I had doubts about, well, should I apply for this program or this airline or should I do this? They're like, of course you should, because you can, and we know you, and yes, you should do it. And uh, so those two guys, for sure. Um, Corey Frank is another dear friend of mine. I know that he was on your podcast. <laughs> so who's that? Earlier. That name sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Corey. Oh man. Another, uh, you know, seven, three captain, as you said on his podcast, just, and, and he's been one for quite some time. Corey's another great guy. Wow, amazing. Who has a lot of vision. 
Um, and so I was, it's funny at Embry-Riddle, it was 86% men and 14% women. And so most of my friends by nature of just numbers were, were men, but, um, I was blessed to have some amazing girlfriends too. My best friend, Sherry Ginger, who was the Air Force instructor pilot of the year when she was there. Yeah, uh, she now flies for, yeah, I know. Right. She flies for Delta, but I try not to hold that against her too much. <laughs> it's gotta be um, hard. <laughs> it is. It is. And my husband flies for Delta as well. So we're a house oh divided. My gosh, that's crazy. Uh, that, but, that's a uh, conversation for later about having two airline pilots in the same well, house. Absolutely. Um, it's been great for us. Thankfully. Um, it's been really good. Uh, but yeah, I, I love to talk about it in another venue, but, um, but yes, as far as how important those people are, it, it's, it's huge. And, you know, those were my peers at the time and it still are definitely my peers and in some, in many ways above me now on the career ladder, having upgraded, uh, but also too, I've been so fortunate to have, um, just some great mentors. I had that small airport I grew up very close to, uh, had a lot of what I call my airport dads, a lot of, of fellows that hung out at the airport who um, just really, really encouraged me and have watched me throughout my entire life. And they, they've been there for me for advice. Um, and that's another part of my board of directors. Um, I had the privilege of uh, being in management at United for just under four years and um, met some amazing individuals through that process as well, who I consider dearest friends and, and mentors. They're the ones I also call and email um, when I have questions about um, anything aviation related and, and sometimes otherwise life related to how to, how to deal with two pilots and how to manage two pilots right. in a marriage. What's the best way to bid and things like that. Um, but yeah, Justin, it's absolutely pivotal. Um, absolutely key. Yeah. It's, and, it's something that, I mean, especially if you have, I had a mentor that kind of did things before me. So I kind of learned from his mistakes and I learned from his wisdom of what he gained in flying. And he, he offered a lot of great advice and it, and in the future he could possibly offer me not jobs, but just great avenues on what to do and what I should do with my career. So yeah, it's, it's absolutely fundamental to your success to, to set yourself up with mentors. And sometimes that means going out, getting out of your comfort zone. If you're an introvert, like you need to go do stuff. You need to go to the airport. You need to hang out at the airport. You need to go to the socials. You need to, to go to the, whatever is going on at the airport to meet those people and create those friendships. Cause they will definitely pay off in the long run. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the biggest thing I tell people too, is you're networking. Like when you meet someone, keep in touch with that person. And um, it's so easy. It's a little easier now with LinkedIn and Facebook and, you know, so many different ways to communicate. Uh, but that's also pivotal. Um, I think of three people uh, that my dad introduced me to very early in my desire to fly and all three, and they were all three ladies, fantastic ladies who fly for United, who are still with United, who are his first officers, who all three now are captains uh, at United. And I always looked up to them and went, wow, I want to be like you when I grow up. And and here I am. And I, I've kept in touch with these ladies uh, via phone, email, text, you name it. Um, but one is Captain Katina Malarakis out of Dulles, triple uh, seven captain. Katina flew my dad's retirement flight with oh, him. So cool. um, she's been a dear friend, absolute just, and, and just the picture of beauty and grace <laughs> and poise and perfect, perfect hat captain. She is uh, and, and, and human, just great, great, wonderful individual. Um, captain Marianne Schaefer, who is a seven, three captain out of Dulles line check airman. And she's also an attorney on the side, just a, okay. an amazing woman. Pilots with side hustles. That's like the most extreme one I've ever heard. <laughs> 
oh gosh, yes, I, I don't know how she does it. And and again, she does it with such grace and poise. Uh, just a great woman. And um, one lady who, who has really helped me get involved in the Air Force Reserves uh, was Captain Katie Creveling, who retired out of the reserves herself. And she's a 756 captain also out of Dulles. And um, I just ran into Katie in Newark. I had a layover. She had a layover. And it was just like, wow, look at us now. You know, I, it, It's just so... <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, just, just great. I I've been fortunate to have those people in my life, but it, um, it is critical to, to keep in touch, um, with those folks and, and give them updates. That's what I would do. I would send out emails and call on occasion just to give them an update. Hey, I've, I just passed a thousand hours of flight instructing yeah. and this is what my plan is. What should I do now? Does this sound good? Does that sound good? <laughs> I need the multi-engine time. Yeah, what do I do? Okay. How do I get it? Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny because I feel like when I was, when you are in the time build mode or the, the flight instructor with low time and no multi-time, you kind of, sometimes you can feel like you're the only one going through that. And I feel like it's, it's, you need to remind yourself that everyone has gone through that same situation where they had to find a way to get the time. They had to find a way to kind of get creative to get the time because it, it, it's not just going to find you all the time. I mean, now it's a little bit easier. It's a little bit, it could be easier for some flight instructors or from students to build that time because there is just a need for pilots. But especially I'm sure when you were coming up and when even a couple of years ago, when I was starting to come up, it, it wasn't as easy and you definitely had yeah. to figure out a, a, an interesting way to go about it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Right after college, um, being, having graduated in 03, the, the jobs were slim. And uh, I had the, the opportunity to work for a part 135 charter as well as part 141 flight school all combined in the same business in Lynchburg, Virginia called Virginia Aviation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I flight instructed. And then I also flew a King Air C-90 and a Cessna 414 and several other aircraft for them. Part 135 wise, I look back at how many aircraft I had in my head at the time. And I I'm like, oh gosh, wow, I'm doing good to have, you know, yeah, one in right. my head right now. <laughs> um, so, um, but you're right. And, you know, we would just do, we would, I remember one time taxiing out in a Piper Lance, getting ready to uh, take off to go fly some customers to Dulles, actually, from Lynchburg. And uh, I had a malfunction with the aircraft, can't remember what it was. We had to taxi back and we um, had to put them in another aircraft that one of my friends took out and flew, fellow uh, coworkers. And I remember logging that point four or however long because I had intent to fly. That's so funny. <laughs> had intent to fly. You know, every little bit of flight time counted. And uh, you're right. Yeah, we, we do. It's amazing what we'll do too if we're passionate yeah. about our dreams. This is this career is definitely something you have to have a passion for. Um, I tell people all the time, if you're doing it for the money, then you're in, in it for the oh wrong my reasons. Gosh, that is so that, true. <laughs> that first job at Virginia Aviation, I was paid 14000 a year and that was before taxes. Yeah. Um, so a lot of top ramen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ramen's the best thing you can get. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. When I first Absolutely. started, I did aerial survey instead of flight instructing. So I was able to bypass flight instructing, but I think after taxes for the, or no, before taxes for the whole year is $27,000. And that was, I yeah. think I got about 700 hours. So, I mean, I flew a lot there and still getting 27,000. I didn't make more than 50,000 until I have the job that I have now. And that was, me being at age, what, 29, so it's, or 28, which is just crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, so you're not yes. doing it for the money, yes. that's for sure. Even though the money is there, so the money is there, but it is, I like to say delayed gratification. It can take a long time to get to the, the seniority and the job that you actually want to where you feel like you made it as an airline pilot or just a pilot in general. Yes, definitely. Yeah. 
When would, uh, so you're graduating college and you went to Virginia Aviation. What was kind of the next step after that? What happened? Uh, how long were you there? Did you enjoy that flight time? Did you enjoy doing 135? I did. I did. You know, I, I had a blast flying 135. You never knew what you were going to get uh, customer wise, weather wise, um, FBO wise. Uh, I really did enjoy it. I was there for just under a year. Um, after that, um, the reason I was there just under a year is I actually got hired by American Eagle Airlines. Um, finally, uh, we, we spent uh, every weather day from Every wet day that was weathered, uh, if it was a flight instructing day, I would spend online searching for jobs and putting applications. And, you know, while I was at Virginia Aviation and, um, but I went to American Eagle, I was hired by American Eagle. Um, and during that time at Virginia Aviation and American Eagle too, I was pursuing the reserves, the Air Force Reserves. I still had that passion to fly for my country. And uh, I had my applications in. I had interviewed at several squadrons and I was actually hired at um, a squadron in Dover flying C-5s, the 326 Airlift Squadron out of Dover, Delaware. Oh, and uh, they're like, hey, congratulations, you're hired. We want you, but um, we've got some people that we need to put through pilot training first. Um, in the Air Force, there's an age limit. The age is 30. You have to be, I'm not sure if it still is, but um, back when I went through, um, it was 30. And you had to be in pilot training by the, your 30th oh birthday. <laughs> and they had some folks. Yeah, it was it was a hustle. And I fortunately had a little bit of time, more time than some other folks um, age wise. And so they needed to put some people through first. And so um, when I was still at Virginia Aviation is when I got the hey, congratulations, you're hired, but uh, we'll be in touch kind of kind of call. Um, so I was at American Eagle flying out of LaGuardia on the Embraer 145 and loving it. And I got a call from um, the chief pilot at my squadron. He goes, hey, if you're still interested, we have a slot for you. Um, and I said, Absolutely. Yes. And so I took military leave from American Eagle and uh, went to officer training school down in Maxwell Air Force Base, Alabama. And that was three and a half months long, in the middle of which I married my husband, Mark, and he was in the middle... Yeah, he was in the middle of Air Force pilot training at the time. So the only time we knew we would have off were the holidays. So we have a December 31st, New Year's Eve um, anniversary date. So yeah, brief honeymoon, all of 48 hours. And then I was back saluting smartly at um, at Maxwell uh, with a name change. And my husband was back slugging it out in Air Force pilot training as a second lieutenant. And we did the long distance thing for a while. I graduated pilot training or graduated uh, officer training school. Had a little bit of a break before pilot training. Um, went to Air Force pilot training at Vance Air Force Base, which was awesome. Um I look back, I think I took it a little too seriously, but I thankfully I had some great people in my class that made it fun. And I still keep in touch with those folks. Um, and I just, oh, I, I'm, I'm starting to get kind of chills talking about the people I had, people yeah. I met and, and got the experience Air Force pilot training with just wonderful folks. Will Mooney, uh, Leslie Ronson Burke now, um, Katie McGregor, dear, amazing woman who just took command of a squadron at Hickam. Um, Katie's a rock star. Um, she was like number eight at the Air Force Academy, oh, wow. brilliant mind and just a sweetheart. Uh, just had some, just amazing people in that class and uh, cherished friendships um, from that. So graduated there and uh, then went to C5 school at Altus Air Force Base, Oklahoma, which was four months long and learned all about the C5 and uh, then went back to my squadron at uh, Dover and spent six months there uh, on basically IOE and, and um, 
consolidation, kind of the airline equivalent of what consolidation mm-hmm. would be your hundred hours, except it was far more than a hundred hours. We called it seasoning and, uh, flew missions in support of Iraqi and enduring freedom, which were, was amazing. Um, just some incredible flying met some incredible people. Absolutely had a blast. Um, some of the best flying and the best people I've met in my life have come from my military career. I can't say enough um, good things about it. I'm so glad I did it. And, um, yes. And so I was, uh, finished up my time at Dover, my seasoning, and I was hired as a traditional reservist. So I had to find a real job. And thankfully I had American Eagle to go back to, I was actually getting ready to go back to Saab 340 okay. captain school. And, um, and that actually, uh, wound up not coming to fruition because I got a call from Continental Airlines at the time, now United, uh, for an interview and that interview went well and I was hired in 2007 and, the rest has just been amazing uh, with United. Um, I've been there 12 years. I'll hit my 12-year anniversary, actually, day well, after tomorrow. And thank you. Thank you. And time yeah, has flown, yeah, no literally. Pun intended. <laughs> uh, right. Yes. Uh, just had some amazing experiences yeah. at United. Um, I had I was fortunate enough to spend about a year in the training department teaching the 737 um, to folks, and I loved it every minute of it. It was great. Met some great folks. Um, then I spent just shy of uh, four years in management, uh, low level management, not high. Um, I was <laughs> a flight yet, right? manager and did some, some project yeah. work. Right? Yep. Yeah. And uh, then I decided to go to the 787 and um, I I'd kind of reached a point as a flight manager where I couldn't really take it any further. And I wanted to do just a little bit more personal growth um, and spurned on mostly by um, my dad's um, situation and many of his friends and uh, my co- now co-workers, what they went through post 9-11. Um, because of that, I've always been very finan- kind of financially um tuned, I mm-hmm. guess you should say. And so uh, I, I realized that this career is as awesome as it is. Um, we still have to pass a medical and it, it's still just like really any career uh, these days. Uh, it still could not be there due to some financial issue or a company issue. Hopefully that will never happen, but there yeah. is that threat. And so um, I always had on my life to-do list to get an MBA and um, also had on my life to-do list to fly wide body out of the West Coast and fly Pacific. And so um, my husband had been hired by Delta at the time and had separated from active duty Air Force. And he had a reserve job here at Nellis flying F-16s. He flies for the aggressors. He's a bad guy. So he plays the bad guy. <laughs> That's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. he has a blast. He really enjoys it. Um, but he had that that gig here and um, we both were able to be based on the West Coast. And we thought, well, you've got a job at in Vegas and we're both California based. And we looked at the frequency of flights between McCarran and California, San Fran and LA. And there was a lot of frequency and we decided to make the move to Las Vegas. And it was awesome. I'm so glad I did. I love it here. I've met a lot of great people. Uh, I entered the MBA program at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, while I was on maternity leave with my first son. Um, and that was that was awesome. I would recommend, even if someone plans to not use an MBA, uh, I would recommend getting an MBA just for the knowledge. Yeah. I learned a lot. Um, and uh, it was a really great license to learn, if you will. Uh, it, 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 you're kind of a master, a renaissance person. Um, you have a little bit of knowledge about a lot of things, but you're master of none. And you, you know, when the MBA teaches you, you know, to kind of that personal board of directors, you assemble your personal business board of directors to ask for help when you need it. And uh, 
met some great folks. I actually um, co-founded a company here in Las Vegas with six of my MBA classmates. Uh, we specialize in nutraceutical and vitamin products for women, no matter what their stage of life. It's called Dr. Stockwell's prenatal vitamin is the first market we have, the first product we have on the market. And that's been such an amazing learning experience. Um, coming up with a product, formulating a product, going through the manufacturing process, the distribution process, and and seeing your product for sale on Amazon and via your website and seeing people buy it and like it is just is really cool. cool. Uh, really cool. And um, so that's kind of my business is my fallback in the event that, God forbid, I could not fly airplanes for whatever yeah. reason. Which, like you said, and, could uh, happen. You never know what could happen. Yeah. Well, it sounds yeah. like you have prepared yourself very well. I mean, you are, you and your husband have to be some of the most impressive people I've ever heard about. <laughs> it's like, you just, kind of, you know, you, it's oh just amazing. God. Like, it's just really cool and it's inspiring. And it, I, I hope that people listening to this can kind of, can do more. You know, they can find something else to do. Cause I mean, just cause you're a pilot doesn't, like, you can still do more things. I love hearing about side hustles. I love hearing about people continuing their personal life and trying to become smarter or better and just, just continue to learn and continue to grow in every aspect of their life. And I feel like you are in true embodiment of that because you have done so much and it's so cool. And it's like you said, you feel like you look back at your life at Embry-Riddle and you feel like you never had time to sleep. I want to ask you if you've had time to sleep since you left Embry-Riddle because I feel like you've done so much. You know, I, I, I have, but at the same time, um, I have learned to ask for help and that was not something I was good at a few years ago. I thought, oh, I can handle this. And well, you can't. And that's what I would tell people is, you know, there, there's, there's this, um, oh, it's not a monomic. That's the wrong term. I guess cliche Mm -hmm. phrase, if you will, um, saying, oh, you can have it all. Well, not really. You can but you just can't have it all at once. And, you know, you say that, I, that I've done a lot and my husband's done a lot and we have, but it's been over 15 years of marriage or in my case at United, it's been over 12 years at United and you can have it all, but you have to focus on different chunks at different times. So I was a late in life mother. I had my first son at, at uh, later in life, not super mm-hmm. late, but, but a little later. I had my first son at 34 and I had my second son at 36 because I had to build, I, I had other things that I wanted to make sure I had kind of stable, if you yeah. will, before I had my boys. And um, so in, and there comes a time where you have to, you know, know when to say no to something. Um, I've had the privilege of being on several nonprofit boards here in Vegas, and um, it, it got at one point to just be too much. And you have to know when to say, you know, I need to take a break and focus on some other things. And and so that's what I try to tell a lot of women mostly um, because a lot of young women um, and I hear it's funny. I hear about these young ladies mostly through the, the male captains I fly with because they're either their fathers or mm-hmm. their uncles or just close yeah. friends of their families. And I had one captain tell me, he goes, my daughter loves aviation. She loves flying. She just got her private pilot's license, but she doesn't want to become a professional pilot because she thinks that she can't be a wife and she thinks that she can't be a mom. And she thinks that she can't, you know, right. be a girly girl. And, <laughs> and he, he actually said, he's like, would you mind talking to her? And I said, uh, I would love to. And I, and I mean, you know, meanwhile, I told him the same thing. I, I said, you know, please tell her that, 
you know, none of this comes at once. It's, it's pieces that you, it's little bites. It's how do you eat an elephant? It's one bite at a time. And I have so many people helping me um, in my life today. My big helper is my mother-in-law, Valerie Klein. She is a retired principal and school teacher. And she decided to retire down here to Las Vegas with my husband and I and help us with our boys. And um, she watches our boys when we're both on trips. And she does an amazing job. And uh, my husband is the youngest of three. And I like to look at track records. And I figure, well, she kept three, three boys out of jail and all three are amazing. So I think she can handle two of my boys. And uh, it's just been such a relief knowing that she's here. And I, I'm so fortunate. I was just about to ask you, I was just about to ask, how do you even have a family? How do you even like, when that girl asked that question, I feel like that was a fair question because even where I'm in life, it's kind of like, well, my wife's in med school, she's going to be a doctor. It's like, how are we going to have a family? (laughs) You know, it's like, I feel like it's a very valid question that no one has really answered. So, I mean, I don't know if you remember exactly what you said, but what would you say to that? Oh, absolutely. And I would say that if, if a woman, you've got to, you have to ask, you have to ask the questions. And and I used to lose sleep over it myself. I'm like, I would sit at, at home at, at night staring at the ceiling going, how, how do I get married? And how do I have a family? Like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And I was very, I was lucky. I, I went to the Women in Aviation mm-hmm. Conference, which I highly recommend any woman going to because you will meet women from all walks of aviation life in the begin infancy of their careers all the way to almost the dusk of their careers and everything in between. And I went there and I would ask, I would try to cite to fetter out the moms and I would ask them what they did. And I actually, several years of the conference, I would sit in on panels where there were a bunch of mommy pilots up there, uh, and other mommies in aviation as well, talking about what they did for childcare. And I took copious notes and I, and not, I, not everyone, not one solution. My solution of having my mother-in-law with us may not work for everyone. Um, one, maybe an au pair might be a better option. One of my dearest friends up in Chicago, um, she is pr- she's about to deliver her third and she and her husband, both are pilots for United Afton Benassi, amazing woman. She, um, I believe she has, um, a, a nanny as well as daycare that covers everything. So there is a, every solution is different. And if you're a young woman who is wanting to get into this career, I would highly advise you talk to every female pilot that you can get your hands on and pick their brain and then use a little bit of maybe my solution, a little bit of Afton solution, a little bit of Jane's solution, a little bit of everyone's yeah. solutions to come up with your own. Yeah, take advice. And obviously this doesn't just go to what you're saying, but just in anything in general is take advice and mold it to your own situation because everything works differently for different people because some people might want to kill their mother-in-law so you don't want to end up in jail. So maybe you go with the father-in-law, exactly. you know? <laughs> it's like you find you you, you work on yeah. it and it's not going to be perfect yeah. all once and you will find the, the best situation as time goes on and you'll continue to mold it and improve it for what your lifestyle requires. Absolutely. And, and I think a lot of young women still in our culture today, they get a lot of um, negativism when they talk about being a pilot or and not even just being a pilot, but anything non-traditional, um, I think is still met with a little bit of an eyebrow raise. And I, I feel kind of a, a personal obligation to, to get out there and, and, talk to young girls and expose them to a female pilot. And one of the best parts of my job at United is United gives us wings and playing cards of our aircraft. So the playing card for me, 787 on the front and then on the back, it has some statistics and 
like a baseball card and then the plastic wings. Those I find are the biggest hit. And I try if I can to get to the gate area early so I can kind of look around. Um, I, I look around for young women, young little girls and boys too. Uh, we have a pilot shortage, as you know. I mean, we need everybody. And so I try to get out there and, you know, show that, hey, I, I'm a girl and I'm a pilot because I think it's very difficult for young women and men too to be oh, yeah. what you cannot see. I was going to ask you, um, how important was it for you to see your first female or woman airline pilot? Was that kind of like, I noticed you, you talked about it a little bit earlier, but you kind of said, like, did that kind of bring this whole dream to realization that you can actually do this when you saw your first woman in aviation? Oh, absolutely. And I know who it was. Yeah. It was Katina Malarakis, who's now a captain at United. And I just remember seeing pictures of Katina flying the 727 with my dad and just being in awe. And I'm like, okay, she can do it. So can I. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was very big to me. Um, and my, and I, I back to my parents too, both my mom and dad, no, there was no, I didn't feel very acutely aware that I was a, a girl mm. and I had my place. I, my place was anywhere I wanted to that's be. Awesome. Um, and that's kind of what both my parents instilled in me. But even with that, it was, it was really, really awesome. Yeah, to see no, that's, for the first I, time. I would agree. I think from what I've learned from talking is even this goes outside of genders or ethnicity or anything, but just people in general with aviation, it's, I feel like a lot of people write it off because they don't come from an aviation family or they just think it's impossible. They think they have to go to the military. I think they have to have perfect vision. And, you know, there's so many that's expensive, which it is expensive, but there's a way for everyone to get in aviation. And I yeah. do think it is on us as a current generation of pilots to figure out a way to, to like you said, how some females and women in aviation just, it, it's kind of like some people think twice about it. It's like, no, some of them are probably much better pilots than some of the guys you have flying. It's like, trust me, you want them in the cockpit. It's, we need to do a better job of making, being right. more accepting. And obviously that's all like the whole world needs to be better at being more accepting, but it's definitely something that we need to work on with women and other ethnicities in the cockpit as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. And you're right. There are so many different paths and it can be overwhelming to people as well. And and thankfully there are some fantastic organizations out there that are helping to kind of um, clear that fog. Women in aviation is wonderful. Um, OBAP, the organization of black aerospace professionals is doing a great job. Um, AOPA, EAA, um, Aircraft yeah. Owners and Pilots Association, Experimental Aircraft Association, you know, all of those seem to be really making a push um, to get more young people in aviation, which is wonderful. Do you think the the airlines need to step in and try to try to create more ab initio programs or re- recruit kids at smaller or younger ages or even high schools or anything? Do you think that's something that it's going to come to eventually, or do you think that we can do enough with just kind of the AOPAs of the world, the EAAs or the women in aviation, reaching out to all the children? You know, I think the airlines have already started that. It's come to that. And um, I I know Delta has a program. I'm drawing a blank on the exact name, but I, I know United does as well as far as partnering um, with with colleges to to bring in more pilots from that pi- and start that pipeline process. Um, I, and I, it's interesting. I've seen a lot of really great videos and a lot of really great commercials put out. Um, I think APA, the Allied Pilots Association, they just put out a really great YouTube video about being a pilot. Um, I know United has put out some absolutely amazing um, media. Uh, showcasing um, women pilots. Uh, we just flew a 787 fully crewed by women to yeah, Oshkosh. I was there. Um, which was <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. I, unfortunately I wasn't there. Uh, we were camping in Yellowstone and had reservations in oh Yellowstone. Gosh, yeah. Camping in Yellowstone, flying a 787. I mean, I feel like I would choose Yellowstone too. <laughs> 
Oh gosh, no. <laughs> but it was so cool to see, uh, see sick. I think it wound up being four of our lady pilots, two flew in and two flew it out. And, and just the amazing, I think there was about a hundred ladies on board from all aspects of aviation at United. And that's what a lot of people don't understand either is there are so many aviation oriented opportunities that are not limited to pilots. We have mechanics, dispatchers, customer service agents, ramp agents. I mean, all very, very yeah. good career paths. IT, and, you can name it. Like you name it. Oh, Every okay. single job you can think of that needs to run any business or government or anything is in an airline too. Right. Absolutely. And that's one thing I have some people, in fact, some of my fellow pilots, just with all the you know the tumultuous times we've had over the past 20 years um, with bankruptcies and 9-11 and you, know, you name it, recessions. Um, a lot of guys and gals I fly with are like, oh, I'd never encourage my children to fly. I go, well, I get it. I said, however, I wouldn't say I would, or I, they usually say I would never encourage my children to get into aviation. And I said, okay, I understand. I said, however, I would try to think about it from another perspective of I would like to get my children into aviation, maybe not so much on the flight deck, but here's all these other options you have that you can channel, you know, all that, that, that childlike interest in flying, which my son has now. Uh Um, Here we go. (laughs) I know I keep hoping for hedge fund manager, investment banker, but I don't think it's going that way. (laughs) He's very much caught the flying bug and which is great. And and we're not, well, you know, my husband and I are definitely not going to push it, but at the same time, we're not going to discourage it because there are so many things in aviation that you can do that are not on the flight deck. And um, if, you know, sometime down the road, which I hope isn't anytime soon, we wind up reducing um, pilot crewing on a flight deck yeah. or perhaps even going unmanned, which that's a whole topic for a whole nother podcast yes, as to why a whole other podcast. Against, <laughs> against both of those yeah. things. But you know, if we did, there will still be aviation jobs. Yeah. We're still an airline to run. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of guys and gals are hesitant to encourage their children to take flying lessons. And what I like to tell them is, you know, having a private pilot or even a sport pilot license on your resume, going into a college or applying for any internship in any industry, it shows responsibility. It shows initiative. Dedication. Yeah. Completion is huge. (laughs) Shows you can start, you can get through all the tough times and you can complete it. And that means a lot. Oh, it does. It does. Yeah. Well, I had a couple of questions about uh, your training and a little bit farther back in your story. It's, I mean, you, you said so many amazing things. I was trying to jot stuff down. I was like, ah, write this down, write this down. But one of the things I wanted to ask about was, so you talked about the C5 and you're doing your training. What was uh, military training like versus civilian training? Would you say there's a huge difference in the two or would you say they're relatively similar? There's a huge difference. Is there one better than the other? Or do you think that they are needed? They're necessary for their type of environment? Oh, gosh. You know, it. De- <laughs> I hate to be a little nebulous. It depends on your definition of better. Yeah. Um, C5 school was four months long. And um, my 737 initial, that's what I was assigned in training initially. Uh, basic NDOC, type specific 73 training, all of it was six weeks long. Yeah. Big, big difference. Uh, now, granted, in the Air Force, um, they're taking, I, I went into Air Force pilot training with about 3,000 hours of flight time. Dang. So um, I had a lot of experience. And whereas some of my fellow classmates, they had 
maybe 100 hours from the the IFT, um, what the Air Force calls, I believe it's Introduction to Flight Training, where they go to Colorado Springs or Durango, gotcha. somewhere in Colorado. That was my next question. So you got the bypass that. So they accepted all of your yeah. ratings and stuff. And so you're able to just go straight into the C-5 training? They did. Oh, they cool. did. Yes. Yes. And I think uh, I, I'm not quite sure what the landscape hiring wise looks like for the Air Force Reserve and Air National Guard today. But I know back then they really preferred you to have a private pilot's license because they wanted to one, make sure you wouldn't get airsick because so many people get airsick once they, you know, they initially on their first few flights yeah. in the Air Force because it is so different. Um, so that kind of was air sickness prevention. And it also showed that you loved aviation, love flying, and you had some some prowess to you before even before they sent spent the money on you to go to air force pilot. Yeah, and I'm guessing they could be picky too. So they wanted to know that this is something you wanted to do and it wasn't just kind of like a pipe dream. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, so, so that keeping that in mind, you know, dealing with the air force was mostly dealing with brand spanking new pilots. Um, now with maybe 200 or 300 hours out of air force pilot training, going to their type specific aircraft, I can definitely see why C5 school needed to be four months long. Yeah. Um, F-16 school for my husband was almost a year oh my gosh. long. Um, <laughs> so I, I can definitely see why it's so long. Whereas at the airlines, you're, you're, you're a known, they're hiring a known quantity with a known experience level. And therefore they put you through a fire hose training. But I tell you what, Justin, it is still a fire hose, no matter how much experience you have. I bet. And it's, it was a big, it was a big jump for me. Fortunately, I had a civilian aviation background before I went to United, um, and that helped out tremendously. Um, my husband, um, f- speaking for him a little here, but I think he would tell you the exact same thing. He was purely military fighter pilot, single seat before he went to Delta. And he said it was hard. And I had kind of prepped him, so I, I, but I couldn't go through the training for him, obviously. Right. And um, I had prepped him for that. And, but he said still learning the flight management system, the FMC, the computer, the box, learning the box, getting used to flows as opposed to checklists, because everything in the military is checklists. There's what we in the civilian world, world would consider strictly checklists. There's really no what we would consider in the civilian world flow, okay. if you will. So it's a lot slower. Like it took us a long time to get the C5 moving for, for multiple reasons. It, it was, it kind of had some maintenance issues a lot of times, <laughs> but just more, more normal operations. It took us a lot longer to get it out of the chocks than it takes me to get the 787 out of the chocks. How long would you say it would take? Would you just like 30 minutes or is that not long enough? No, it was a little longer. Oh it's kind of <laughs> put it in perspective, a, a quick turn for us in the C5. So land, offload, cargo, onload cargo, and get back out again was three hours and 30 minutes, I believe. Three hours and 30 minutes. And that was a quick turn. And you're yes. also unloading an enormous amount of freight though too. So it's not like just like a quick, I flew a freight in a PC-12 and I was unloading two skids and it took like 10 minutes. So I can't even imagine oh, yeah. how long it takes just to get the freight off itself. Oh, it's impressive. Our loadmasters um, were amazing. I loved watching our loadmasters work. Um, they're so skilled. And I mean, they have to know how they knew how and still have to know because the C5 fortunately is still flying. <laughs> um, they have to know so much about different types of cargo, different types of loading, because it's critical. If they load it incorrectly and our weight and balance is off, that, that could yeah, um, be nothing you can do. Yeah, off, nothing so. you can do about it. Yeah. yeah. No. Gravity no. wins. So I. 
Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Highly, highly skilled. Um, I, I had a deep admiration for our enlisted folks when I was in. Uh, loadmasters are amazingly skilled. And then our flight engineers, we still had flight engineers on the uh, C5 and and they watched my watched your back a lot of times too. That's good. And just amazing systems knowledge. Um, we, we called them the functional leaders when something would go wrong systems wise with the C5, we would, de- I mean, it was, it was their ship and they would tell mm-hmm. us what they needed us to do from our seats to, to handle the situation. And, and I never flew with a flight engineer that I did not honor and respect to the highest nth degree. What would go wrong? What, what were kind of some common things that would, could happen in the air? Were they very serious or they kind of minor things that just required everyone's attention? Fortunately for me, they were um, minor to, to medium. I never had anything serious. Uh, but for example, the gear wouldn't come up or the gear wouldn't come down and we had to go through up gear wouldn't come up. Not, not so big a deal, but gear not coming down, of course. Yes. Yes. And so oftentimes uh, I had, uh, let's see, I'm thinking back twice. Um, we couldn't get the gear down and uh, our engineers had to go through a specialized procedure. It's called buttoning the gear down to get it down. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of crew coordination because the C5 gear, not only does it just drop out, but it turns, it pivots. Oh into a locked position. So there's a lot of moving parts and with a manual gear extension of the nature that we had to do, if one button was out of place, if, if one switch was essentially flipped out of order, it could be a bad thing. So lots of communication and lots of CRM um, careers, resource management with that. Um, also to our flaps and slats, very large um, pieces of metal moving. <laughs> and it's a really old aircraft. C5 goes all the way back to Vietnam and oh, has wow. really been quite, quite the workhorse and, um, yes, we would have, uh, frequently we would have flat slat disagreements where we'd have the slats come out and the flaps would not or vice versa out of position. And so that's another, uh, procedure where we had to be on board step-by-step step with the flight engineers. I'm sure that was and, fun. Cause like you said, it's a, it's a large piece of metal. So any kind of disagreement might be, make things interesting. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Uh, but fortunately um, for me, um, I, I did not have anything major. I, I do have some friends who've had some major things happen. Um, I think probably the most um, kind of thing that took my breath back when it happened to me in the C5 wasn't so much a mechanical per se, but uh, we were flying across the ocean from Hickam to Guam uh, on a Pacific mission. We were bound for Japan and middle of the night and we're flying along. And I remember looking down to plot a position, um, plot a position report on the chart. And I look back up and um, our entire navigation systems had dumped. Our FMCs had dumped. Everything was gone. Um, we had no um, IRS. We had um, IRS update with GPS updating at the time in that particular model of C5. Um, our IRSs were offline. We'd completely lost position. And our GPSs were giving us some really funky um indications. And so I kind of, you know, you're out in the middle of the Pacific, you're on HF, you're not in radar contact, you're not talking to anyone immediately. And uh, of course, thankfully we had HF, uh, but guidance, you, you went, we, I literally had to go back to the chart. Oh, I had no. to go back and do post position plotting um, and making sure we stayed on course. Thankfully, again, with the engineer's help, we, uh, we were able to get everything back online and get a position and, uh, in our, in our boxes. So we knew approximately where we were. We still wound up being slightly off course shortly into that procedure we were like this, maybe for about an hour, a little over an hour. And we were starting to get into radar contact with Guam and they, they were like, yeah, we show you, I forget how many miles off course we were, but we were slightly off course. And of course we declared an emergency and, um, made sure we, we covered our bases with that, but it was, I, we wound up spending 
a total of, I believe, 12 days in Guam trying to troubleshoot to get that fixed. Dang. It was a really just a funky, um, well, yeah, I can't imagine just hanging out over the Pacific, you know, just enjoying the flight at night, just talking stuff, you know, whatever. Yeah. And you look down, look back up and everything's gone. It's like, that has to be one of the most uncomfortable feelings. <laughs> be like, uh, was, where are we going? It definitely was. And it was one of those pitch black nights, no stars, no horizon. Oh, of course. That's yeah. how it is all the time. What, uh, you talked about missions a little bit. Are you able to talk about the missions that you flew or you said you flew support? What necessarily does support mean? So the C5, we would fly everything's from beans, bullets, and toilet paper and uh, everything in between. A lot of times um, I would look back in the cargo bay and things would be so wrapped up um, that I wouldn't be able to identify what they were. You know, of course, when you look back and there's a Humvee sitting there strapped down, that's obvious it's a Humvee. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yes, I mean, we always, just like in the airlines, we receive a report if we have any kind of dangerous goods on board. And we, um, in the military, we would haul, we had the potential to haul some things that were slightly more dangerous than what the airlines hand haul. Just and a little bit. Just a little. <laughs> yeah. We would always get a report showing, um, and the loadmasters, again, this is where their expertise came in. Um, they would know exactly how to load it, where to load it, how to protect it, and how to strap it down. And then we as pilots would receive a report saying, hey, by the way, we've got this on board. Um, but we never got a detailed manifest of, of what exactly we had on board. Um, but yep, we flew support. We would fly, uh, you know, basically whatever the Air Force needed us to fly to get to the troops on the ground that needed it most. Um, and that, that's what we would do. That's awesome. If you had to choose between the C-5 and the 787, which one would you rather fly? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> hmm. I would not trade my C5 time for the world. However, yeah. um, the uh, the 787 is a really great plane. It, it, it has, you know, it, when it first came out, it had some issues as all aircraft that first come out usually have. Um, have some had, growing pains, you know, got to work stuff through. <laughs> absolutely. But, yeah. you know, we've got such, United was the, I believe we were the North American launch customer for it. And we have such an amazing team such an amazing team of fleet experts at United. And then from what I understand, again, I'm low man on the totem pole here, but for what I understand, we've got a great support team at Boeing too, that um, is just a phone call away uh, in case something goes wrong. Um, it just, it's, it's really nice to know that you, I go, I go to work with a lot of, um, assuredness knowing that I've got some fantastic people that have my back and that's definitely United Airlines. Um, we have, that's awesome. uh, and that's definitely the 787. 787 is a beautiful plane. It's an amazing yeah. plane. And it's very clear to me that the engineers when they designed it, at least the flight deck part of it, which I'm the most familiar with is they really took a lot of some creature comforts and inputs from pilots into consideration, which is nice. Cause they don't always do that. No, they don't. They definitely no. don't. Um, definitely don't. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a great plane. I was able to fly my dad flies from American. Like I said, and we flew standby and we went mm -hmm. from, my sister lived in Shanghai. So we flew from Dallas to Shanghai and we were able to get business class there and back. So 16 hours oh. each way of business class. It was possibly one of the greatest things I've ever done. It was oh, just I amazing. Bet. Yeah, it was yeah. so cool. I didn't sleep at all because I was just so excited the whole time. I was like looking out the window. Look, I felt like I was a t like a five-year-old kid, just like loving aviation all over again. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I kind of have to pinch myself every time I, I walk out to the jet and I go, gosh, I get to fly this. Um, it, it's just, it's a beautiful machine. It really is. 
is this 787 kind of the the highest technical technology, like the, the upper echelon of all technology that you've ever flown or have you flown anything that has in its time? So say like when you're coming up, like, so say like G1000, 172s or just everything that you've flown is the 787 by far the most advanced plane. Absolutely. Yes, it is definitely at the most all around the most advanced. I will say though, that, um, when I use for flight, uh, with my ADSB receiver on my Cessna 170 <laughs> that my husband and I putts around in on occasion, awesome. uh, that sometimes has a little more fidelity on some things than, than even some of the avionics do on the 787. Uh, however, that being said, we're still updating. And I am, I feel very confident that um, the 7.8 and then whatever comes after the 7.8, whether Airbus develops it or Boeing, will have a lot of those really great features that ForeFlight uses um, for their general aviation products. Um, yeah, and they'll be huge too, because it's the days of the Mad Dog and the Mad Dog cockpits are over and we finally have the cockpit. Because I mean, you look at some of the planes, you walk in and I fly a G5000. I don't know if you know what the Garmin 5000 FMS for. It's just Garmin's iteration of an FMS. And it's unbelievable the things that have. It's all touchscreen. You have all, you have synthetic vision, you have safe taxi, you have your charts up there, you have anything and everything you could ever imagine. Even it's pretty much like four flight. It's just, it's unbelievable. And I feel like that is slowly working its way into the airlines as well. And more technology is coming in the cockpit, which is amazing. Yes. And one thing we have on the 787 that I absolutely love is the HUD. We have a heads up display. Oh, on yeah, the that's awesome. It is so cool. It is so cool. It, it takes all the art of the aircraft out of flying a visual approach. <laughs> it really does. Even when you turn it, turn it down, turn off all of the information that you can have up on the HUD, you turn all that stuff off. You still have um, a three degree glide, glide slope line. You know, So it, it takes a little bit um, of, of that uh, out of it, which when you're, when you're coming back, you know, from a a location such as Shanghai or Sydney or Melbourne or Singapore, you know, it's nice to have the technology there to help you because although you may be rested, um, (laughs) there's a little bit of fatigue still left. So every little bit of technology that we can have that, that can help us that we can take. and, And I always tell people too, no matter how, and my dad actually told me this, he's like, when he upgraded to the triple seven, he said, I, I told people that I fly 727 in the triple seven. So essentially he, he flies, he takes everything into consideration, hard tunes as much as he could, um, flew it like an old school aircraft. And then all that technology he took as inputs that he could use or not use. And that's how I try to fly the 787. I never try to lose my situational awareness, no matter, even though we have the technology there to tell you where exactly you are. Um, I always try to go back to the rudimentary basic flying, um, VORs, uh, even occasionally I'll pull out a chart. I'm one of those weird people. Occasionally I'll pull out, I'll pull <laughs> What's out a chart. A, Come on now. Know, yeah. right? Well, and when I say pull out a chart, I mean, pulling it up on my iPad because yeah, we don't. I was say, Come on now. Cause the, the old paper charts are used to block the sun in the cockpit. That's all they're used for. Right. No, we don't do that. Justin. I don't know what <laughs> yeah. you're talking about. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Never we don't heard do that. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy where aviation is going, where it's come from. And it is sad, kind of the the old planes that are being, that have been serving the aviation world so well are finally being retired, but it is time for kind of the new generation of planes to come in and the 787 and some of the other airplanes are going to, and the A220, that's another one that's crazy with crazy technology. And they're starting to really change the game. And 
like you said, we're not really going to get into it on this podcast, but like future of aviation, is it single pilot? Is it fully automated? You know, there's, there's arguments for each side and it's going to be really interesting with the future of aviation and what they want to do, because as everyone knows, airlines are a business and they want to save money and whatever they can do to make the most money out of a safe flight is they're going to do. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting. I'm, I'm reading a really awesome book right now. It's by Gene Kranz, who was the mission command. Um, oh, Oh gosh, I can't, I'm drawing a blank on the exact term, but he was mission control. I think head of mission control for Apollo 13. Um, he was, he was Houston. I have a problem. Um, that was him. And, um, Gene Krantz wrote this fantastic book, um, called failure is not an option. And he talks about a lot of the automation, even back in the sixties that were used in the Gemini, Mercury and Apollo programs and, you know, the fallacies of it and why the human element is so important, but it's a great read. And it goes to what you said too. I like kind of like what your dad would tell you. He takes the old school mentality to the new school. He receives all this new information and he uses it to his, to further the ability that he has as a pilot. So if anything does fail, he is aware of what the plane is doing, where the plane is going and what the plane wants to do, where if something doesn't happen the way he thinks it's supposed to happen or the plane is supposed to act, you or you or whoever it is can just hit that big red button and disconnect autopilot and then you're in control, you know, and take a step back. I think it was, I think it's a pretty famous video, which I didn't know that, but it was an American airlines training class where they're in this training class and it's an older generation. So I think it was like 10, 15, 20 years ago. I don't know, but they talk about automation, automation, in the cockpit and how the best thing you can do when things get confusing is hand fly the plane. It's like, just Absolutely. go back to old school. It's like, you can fly a plane. You flew a 172 for a thousand hours without autopilot. It's like, you can fly this just the same way. Yes. And that's one thing that United highly encourages us to do on a regular basis is kick it all off and fly. And a lot, and we, we love, I mean, another great book that I read was uh, Chesley Sullenberger's um, autobiography. And he says in there that he um, loved the art of the aircraft. And I mean, we all at United and I'm sure at other airlines too, um, you know, we get into this because we love it and we love the art of the aircraft. And a lot of the guys and gals I fly with, we still kick it off and fly and love it. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. keep it sharp. Absolutely. Because if you flying is a skill, you have to continuously work on it. If you don't work on it, you're going to lose your skill. You're going to lose your kind of advantage that you have. And so you might not be as advert to handle a situation that comes up where you would have if you would be maybe hand flying at 10,000 feet or maybe hand flying an approach every once in a while just to make sure you still had it. Because there's going to be a day, I can promise you to everyone, where something happens where you can't count on the automation. Now, it may be smaller. And someone might just lose GPS or someone may lose GPS or someone may lose auto throttles. Even losing auto throttles can be a big deal. You're like, wait, how do I control my speed? It's like, this has always done it for me. It's, I just started flying an auto throttle plane and it is unbelievable, unbelievable how lazy it can make you and you just count on it. Yes. Yep. You're you're hundred percent correct. And it's not that you don't know how to use the throttle. It's just, it's not in your normal, it's not in your normal motion. So now you have to incorporate it back and kind of reteach your brain what that feels like again. Yeah, And when you get a pilot out of their normal kind of setting and normal motion, that's when things get weird, things can happen. Yes. They get out of the ordinary and it just gets weird. It gets gets strange. We're all creatures of habit up in the cockpit. We are. We are definitely. Let's see. I had let's one more. All right. So I want to talk about, I have a one more, couple more questions and then a rapid fire section. And then one question to round it out, but I want to talk about management at United and how, why, and what it taught you. Oh gosh. Um, I had a blast. I I'm glad I did it. I think every pilot at United should, um, I think they should do a stint in that. And, uh, the way flight ops management is set up at United is you, you go from flight ops managers who are quote unquote management pilots 
are still line pilots. So I kind of think of it as I'm a line pilot. I just happen to be doing this extra desk job right now, but I'm going to go back to the line like that. That's the intent. And so, um, I got into that um, from actually one of one of my personal board of directors reached out to me and said, hey, I think you'd be good at this and I think you should try it. And I said, OK, well, sure, I'll give it a whirl. I'll, I'll give it a try. I talked it over with my husband and he said, definitely go for it. And I did. And uh, I was a flight manager in Houston um, for about a total of just over two years. And basically, as a flight manager, I was a first officer that oversaw about 700 first officers in the base. And I, I mean, overseeing we're we're all pilot we're all type a's and can kind of take care of ourselves and so pretty much what i would do um that i and i love this part of the job is i was able to help people when they were in need so if they had a family issue and needed time off or they had um a question about something or had a situation that they needed some help navigating at work i was able to do that and i had the hr resources that i could hand them off to or i had the alpa our union resources i could hand them off to Uh, i had a lot of great resources that i could help facilitate getting them to. And I had a really fantastic boss at the time. Uh, The chief pilot in Houston was Captain Rick Muir, who is now our managing director of flight ops. And Rick was a, a great boss in that he gave me assignments in other divisions. So I would work with airport operations to help um, with mitigate delays or to help streamline the boarding process or any way that I could help and give a flight ops perspective Rick would give me and um, my fellow flight managers and assistant chief pilots too that I worked with, he would give us those types of projects. And um, Rick was a great boss because he would give you, he would delegate his authority and give you enough rope to either hang yourself or help yourself. But he was always <laughs> there when you hung yourself to help you get on hung. That's good. <laughs> and, yeah, he, he, and that I did that. I full fledged. Full, I mean, I, there were mistakes. It's corporate, it's corporate management. And, and, you know, there were some mistakes that I made and I learned so much from it and, uh, made a lot of great connections and learned a lot about the other parts of the company. You know, we're, we're all this big team, you know, on all the commercials and such, you usually see flight attendants and pilots. And a lot of people just think it's flight attendants and pilots. It's not. It is absolutely not. There are so many hundreds of people behind the scenes that help effectuate a departure off the gate. And I got to work with those amazing people. And, uh, and thank, I wouldn't have had that exposure had it not been um, under Rick's wing as a flight manager for him for those two years. Um, but that actually is what um, kind of spurned that experience in management, kind of spurned my desire to get my MBA because there were a lot of things. Um, one thing I got to do too was I was uh, had the opportunity to do special project work um, up at headquarters in Chicago during um, the merger. And one of the things we were working on was aircraft reliability and then reallocation of aircraft because now we could use Airbuses on different routes that we couldn't before and vice versa. We could use 737s. And so I was part of that effort. And also part of that effort, um, United would bring in consultants from the McKenzie Corporation as well as others that I had the privilege of working with. And I would sit in meetings and I would look at all these charts and all these graphs and listen to these brilliant minds at McKinsey, you know, spout off terms like standard deviation and, um, you know, all these things that my, my pilot education just, we, I just didn't cover that area of, of knowledge. <laughs> yeah. And so, I, you know, I would sit there and I would try to comprehend, but I didn't, I felt like I was lacking in knowledge a little bit. And I wanted to try to increase that knowledge. And so um, my experience 
up in Chicago and then my experience in Houston and, and as a whole working under uh, the management umbrella, I saw a lot of things I liked. I saw a lot of things I didn't understand. And then there were some things that I did not like. And I wanted to get my MBA to help understand those things that I didn't understand and maybe have a little more clarity on those things that I didn't, that I, I initially at first blush did not like. Um, so it was great. Um, I highly recommend it to, to anybody. Um, but I would also say to people too, that at United, at least the way our managed flight ops management is structured, never forget where you came from. Yeah. You came from the line. You're a line pilot and you need to be a pilot advocate first. And that's what I really tried to be uh, while I was, was in management. I th- and um, yeah, as long as you can keep that perspective and not get above your raising, uh-huh. as my very Tennessee Southern mother would say. Um, then it's great. Great experience. Would you say it's hard for some pilots to do? They have pilots getting to management and they're like, I'm management now. And they kind of forget where they came from. Do you think that's a very common thing that happens? Um, I've seen it a little bit. Um, I, I think before my time, it was more prevalent from what my, the stories my dad would tell me, yeah. because when I stepped into management, um, my dad was a full-time striker at United huh. back in 1985. <laughs> Yes. Um, I, I still, even though I was only three years old at the time, I, I vividly remember because I was such a, a dork in aviation, even at that time. Um, I remember my dad putting on his uniform and carrying strike signs out to Dulles to pick it yeah. during, during that time. Um, I remember my mom crying. <laughs> I remember, um, my mom, um, was a stay at home mom up until the strike of 85. And then she went back and got her nursing license renewed. She was a nurse by trade before and had let her license lapse because she thought that everything was secure. And she went back to school and got her nursing license reinstated because the the future of my dad's career was very uncertain at that time. And uh, so that always, my dad always made sure that I was very aware of labor history in the airlines. And so for me to step my toe into the management world, he, he made it crystal clear yet again, where I came from. And I haven't forgotten that. And it's kind of interesting. I was just, uh, I'm actually getting ready to go visit my dad tomorrow. My whole family's, we're going to fly out uh, to see uh, grandpa Hoover. But um, a few months ago, I was back home, just me with my dad and we were going through some things and he came across those strike signs, <laughs> those ticket signs. And uh, yeah, th- they'll be kept forever. Uh-huh. As, as a memory. That's pretty, yeah, that's yeah. crazy. I wonder what, I kind of wonder what was, you should ask him next time if he hasn't told you exactly what was going through his mind when he said you're going on management. Cause I'm sure my, I mean, yeah, when you have bad relationships with management like that, it can kind of see as going to the dark side in a way, especially because things get tough. I mean, when you have contract, even contract negotiations, strikes or furloughs or anything, you look at management and no one likes them, you know? So going to that side can, can put a bad taste in some people's mouth. But I think now, hopefully we all say this and it all goes bad, but hopefully it's all different now, but you never know. Like we talked about earlier, right? you never know. Right. Would you, uh, what do you think your future is at United? Do you think you could see yourself positioning full-time in management or do you want to be a line pilot always? You know, I, I've always, I feel very, very comfortable on the line and I love going to work nine days a month because that's really what the schedule is yeah, on the 787 because we do fly such long yeah. flights. We get our time really quickly. Um, I, I get that question a lot from a lot of folks and I think if it was the right timing in life for my family, so it would have to be right for my husband, my boys and myself, the timing was right. The job was right. The location was right. The team was right. And the boss was right. 
then yes, I could see myself dipping my toe back in. Um, as of right now, just, uh, the way things are with my life, I'm having a really great time, um, pursuing the business opportunities and the growth that I, the growth opportunities I have here in Las Vegas. Um, I've had the good fortune to get tied in with some pretty awesome nonprofits here, um, specifically with the mission of, um, eradicating sex trafficking, um, which oh, is wow. something I'm very passionate about, um, here. And, uh, I'm being currently being vetted, um, and I won't say the organization because it's still a work in progress. I just, uh, I'm being vetted for a leadership position on a board um, with one of those organizations and um, actually just sat down with an executive coach to go over my uh, personality test and everything they had me do um, to make sure I was a good fit. Um, but I, I really thoroughly love doing that kind of work. And um, the side business with um, Stockwell Medical, uh, with the prenatal vitamin supplements, and then some other supplements that we have on the drawing board. That I'm really passionate about those things right now. Uh, but in the future, um, I, I could see myself if all of those things I mentioned, um, if all those things come together, then definitely, yes. That's awesome. Oh, I mean, well, you sound like you're positioning yourself for the future to where if that was a possibility, you could say yes. And not everyone does that. So I think it's really cool that you're doing that. And I have uh, one last thing, which is a rapid fire. And it is just aviation questions that I want you to answer the first thing that comes to your mind. So don't think about it. Just say what you want to say. Awesome. Sounds good. All right, cool. All right, I'll start out with this one because this is one of my favorite ones because I think it's interesting and different. You are connecting, maybe you're commuting, I don't know, previous life, this life, whatever. You're commuting. You are going to go on a next flight. You're either a passenger or you're flying. You're really hungry. You have about 20 minutes. What's your go-to food court food? Uh, Wendy's uh, chicken Caesar salad. There you go. Okay. What is uh, your favorite airplane you've ever flown? Oh, J3 Cub. What's your least favorite airplane you've ever flown? If you have one, you don't have to have one. Uh, Beach Jet 400. Okay. Is there a reason why? Oh, it had, the turn radius was atrocious. Um, <laughs> I, I flew it in um, in pilot training uh, as the second half of my Air Force pilot training. We called it a T1, but it's a Jeep Beach Jet 400. Uh, great for the mission that it was designed for, which was short haul corporate flying. Terrible for the mission the Air Force used it for, which was pilot oh. training specifically in formation. Um, and when you're flying formation, you always want to have a way out. And being having a capable aircraft that can get you out of that situation quickly is important. And I never felt completely comfortable getting out of some situations because uh, that aircraft had a very poor um, aerodynamic turning capability. So <laughs> Sounds important. Right. Sounds like something you need. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's your favorite airport you've ever landed at? Let's say GA-wise. So you're flying your 170 with your husband or your family or your kids and you want to go land somewhere. What's kind of like your favorite GA airport you've ever landed at? Oh, definitely Triple Tree Aerodrome in South Carolina. Oh, I've never been, but I've heard stories. Oh, man. It's awesome. Yeah. It's probably the, the best, most beautiful, well-groomed grass strip in the country. Um, and I love landing on grass. Um it's it's a lot of fun and that would be that's my fave that's my favorite ga airport <laughs> what's your favorite commercial airport land at say 787 or a previous commercial plane that you've flown oh gosh you know when i when i think about that i think of challenging because i love challenges and mm -hmm. the most challenging airport i've ever landed in was laguardia and that's that's my favorite i'd have to say that's my favorite lots of thought LaGuardia. goes into I interviewed one person said only the strong people like LaGuardia. It's not for the no, weak no. of heart. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different place. That's for sure. Oh, definitely. And it was I like, always, 
Oh, First place going. I ever landed as an airline pilot. No way. Too. Yeah. Welcome to the airlines. Here's LaGuardia. Make it work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was from Charlotte to LaGuardia and my IOE. I was on IOE at American Eagle. My uh, check airman looks at me and he goes, welcome to your new job. Yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> You're like, can I watch you do this one first? Then I'll get the next one. Is that how that works? Or exactly. No, that's really cool. Exactly. Though. Yeah. What is your favorite type of geography to fly over? Would it be mountains, beaches, the flyover states, Pacific Ocean when your navigation equipment's working or different countries? <laughs> right. Yes, when it's working. Yeah. You know, I, I would have to say over either ocean because with any either ocean, there's the opportunity to see the northern lights and that is just breathtaking. Yeah. Um, I would agree. Never just, seen just, them, but. It's cool. You, you will. You definitely will. Yeah. It, it One day. It's amazing. Outside of United Airlines, what is your favorite airline livery? Oh, geez. That's tough. Yeah. You know, I would have to say the Alaska Airlines livery where they have all of the Disney characters. I think it's Alaska. I'm pretty sure it's Alaska. They've got all the Disney characters on there. That's my favorite. Yeah. What is the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Oh, I'd have to say, say the C5 ski, what I call the C5 ski. <laughs> the um, Antonov, I believe, 225. Yeah, it just has too many wheels. There's yeah. too many wheels. It throws most, off the aesthetics. Most of the Antonovs are pretty ugly, though. I mean, I hate to say it, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they get their job yeah. done. They're there for a mission. Sometimes ugly doesn't mean it's a bad airplane. It's like, I don't like the Piaggio because I, I think it's ugly, but the Piaggio serves a great mission, and it's one of the fastest uh, propeller planes that has ever been made. So it doesn't mean it's a bad plane. I just don't think it's attractive. <laughs> right, right, right. Gotcha. Yeah. What, all right, let's see. What is so your favorite airport to land at is LaGuardia. What is your favorite approach you've ever flown? Oh, I'd have to say the Widowmaker approach into Roswell, I think. Is it Roswell? Yeah, it is Roswell. I was flying yeah. aerial survey and we were in Roswell. We we're doing aerial survey in New Mexico and we landed there. We went to the FBO and they had shirts that said the Widowmaker. And I was like, what is the Widowmaker? And they just oh, like, yeah. they started talking about it and I saw the approach plate and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, yes. Yep. I flew yeah. that in the Air Force. We had a little cross country in the T1, otherwise known as the Beach Jet 400. And um, I believe at the time it was what we call in the Air Force a high penetration approach, which you start out really high and then you have a very rapid descent rate. And that one had a very rapid descent rate and a very high turn radius, very tight turn. Um, but yes, I shot that approach and they were out of the t-shirt when I was there. No. I was so Oh, no. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure they have them back. So if you ever make yourself back down to Razo, New Mexico, which I don't know why someone would, but you can go buy the t-shirt. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> what is, here you go. What, so um, favorite airplane we kind of talked about, or no, I, I don't know if I did. What's your favorite airplane? The commercial airplane. 787 yeah. or 777, 76? Could oh, be an God. old one, DC-3. You know, I'm going to say the 727. I never okay. flew it, but um, it's one I always lo- would have loved to have flown simply because my dad spent 30 years flying it and he loved it. And there still to this day, at age 75, he remembers all of the limitation, everything about that aircraft. And it just sounds like such an amazing airplane to fly. And, well, if you ever uh, want to so- go fly it, you can go for USA jet. I'm sure they're hiring pilots right now. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'll pass. I'll take the 787. It's also a very sexy looking aircraft. Yes, too, it so. is. It is a really cool <laughs> airplane. What about uh, general aviation? So let's do business aviation, like Gulfstream, um, Globals or Falcons. Do you have a favorite one of those? I'd have to say a Gulfstream. Okay. I've never flown it, 
again, another one I haven't flown, but another good friend of mine, um, she flew, she now flies for United, but she flew Gulf streams for Victoria's secret oh, cool. and she had, had all great things to say about it. All right. Well, this is one of the, let's see. Yeah. This can be the last one. What is your favorite plane for just like putzing around? Would you say other than your 170? Cause you have that. So obviously it has to be one of your favorites, but just a plain old GA aircraft to put the family in and go fly around. If you could choose any one, what would you choose? Oh, definitely a Cessna 180. Oh, you cheater. <laughs> no, that's good. That works. Um, and that that's part of the mom and me talking because yeah. You know, the 180, you can pile pretty much if you can fit it in there, unless you're going to put lead bricks in there, it'll fly. And uh, I'm I'm coming upon a decision time with my 170. I can't fit, I can't have full tanks, bags, and my entire family in that plane. It's just too small. Yeah. And uh, it the engine's not big enough. And so the next option is a 180. But a 180, not only does it have that carrying capacity, but I can take it into all the little fun grass strips that I love to land Absolutely. on too. Absolutely. The, the love of aviation and the fun of aviation can kept being had, right? Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. Yes. Well, I have, let's see, I have one more question for actually well, one and two kind of, but, and then we can, can depart the conversation. But my one question, this is going to be another quick one. Will yeah. you leave the 787 to go be a captain on another plane or is the 787 have such a draw and such a good schedule that you don't know if you will leave it to become a captain? 787 has an amazing schedule. And it is a great plane and the quality of life is fantastic. However, um, I got into this career, not only to fly, but, but to be a captain and I can hold captain now, a uh, very fairly senior out of San Francisco and, and a few other bases. Uh, however, uh, for schedule wise and family is my top priority. So I do want to, um, have that great schedule so I can spend it with my sons and my husband too, of course. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, him but, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yes, uh, I am very, very close to holding a line on the 757, 767 out of San Fran as a captain. And once that occurs, uh, then I will upgrade. Uh, but for now, I'm just going to sit tight right where I am uh, until I get to about 87% is what I'm calculating a little bit of bar math. But what about when I hit that percentage, then I'm going to take a very, very close look at it. And I will most likely, I'm 99.9% sure I will take that upgrade at that time. Well, sounds like a good option to have. It's uh, two great planes to go fly. Absolutely. So I hear, I, yeah. I hear everyone that flies a seven, five, six loves it. So, and my husband flies that for Delta and he oh, loves perfect. it. So. so you can just help tell you what to do. <laughs> this is how you Absolutely. do this. Don't do yeah. this. Make sure you pull the auto throttle. Yeah. He'll give you all the tips and tricks. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, my last question, you have a younger woman pilot coming up to you in the airport and she says she wants to be a pilot. What are kind of three things that you would recommend her do to start her career? Oh gosh, that's great. I would tell her to get online and go to women in aviation's website, WAI.org. Um, I would give her my card and tell her to stay in touch. And I would tell her to go to her closest airport and take an introductory flight 30 minutes to see how she really likes Make it. Make sure she doesn't get sick. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Make sure you really want to do it. Well, yes. perfect. Diana, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure to talk to you and it was just great to hear your story. And like I said earlier, it was very impressive. And I think that the listeners will get a lot out of this. And I think that they'll just be encouraged uh, to keep doing more and uh, to keep striving for more and to keep wanting to do more. And I think that's amazing. And I can't wait to see where your career keeps going. You know, maybe one day we'll, we'll hear about you being captain on a 787 and doing some really cool stuff or being in management. It sounds like, or starting a new company. It sounds like you have your whole world at your fingertips. And I think that's, that's awesome and very respectful. And that's really cool. And 
I'm just happy for you and your family. I think that you guys are in a great situation and you're a good advocate for women in aviation. So thanks for coming on. Awesome. Oh, thank you so much, Justin. This has been an absolute pre- pleasure. Really appreciate your time. No problem. Thank you. I appreciate it. AV Nation, that is a wrap of episode number 72. If you enjoyed today's episode, please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pilot to pilot. I'm just starting new exclusive podcasts just for the Patreon page. It's going to be about five to 10 minute podcast. It'll be behind the scenes of the podcast. It'll be a ask me anything where I can answer any and all questions that you have for me and the plane that I fly. So if you want to hear more of those, go ahead and check out our Patreon page and please leave a review. The review is just some another way for people to find the podcast. The more reviews you get, the better rating it has, the more available it is for everyone. So please leave a review and let us know what you think. If you have any criticism or you just want to say hi, email me at pilot to pilot HQ at gmo.com. Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and as always, happy flying.